In all our auditoriums this morning, will you stand with me for prayer, please? Before we pray, I really believe this is the most important message God has ever given me to preach. It really wasn't supposed to be part of this series, but I was flying back from Ohio the other day and studying scripture, and it was as if God gave me this talk for you. I really think when it's all said and done, this will be the sermon we'll remember from free to be me. But it's, it's a very important message for all of us to hear, and so I'm going to lovingly ask you for a favor today, and that is we want to keep distractions to a minimum. So if you're here with a, a small baby or a child and the child begins to cry, we understand that, but please take them out to the cry room. We have televisions out there for you. You can see the rest of the service. And please make sure your cell phone is silenced. And if we could have just as little movement around as we could have, uh, we want the Holy Spirit to move today. And we want as little distraction as possible. I'll tell you one reason I say that. If you have a tragedy in your family and you ask me to come minister, I will do my best to do that. And what I'll need to share with you is this message, but it'll be so raw at that moment that I can't share it. So this is very, very important time that we're going to spend together. It's going to prepare us for a lot of our future. Now let's pray. Father God, light up this audience the way you lit me up with this truth. May your Holy Spirit tailor make this message for everyone who is here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You don't have to be very old in life before you start asking yourself, why do bad things happen in our world? It just may be as simple as having something bad happen in your family, and you're asking, why did this bad thing happen? It could be that you open a magazine or see a news broadcast about some tragedy in our world, and even as a small child, most of us will remember asking why bad things happen. But it isn't long before it turns personal, and we have to ask ourselves, why did this bad thing happen to me? Or maybe we ask of God, if we believe in God, why did this bad thing happen to me? And then ultimately, you're going to be asking the question, if you do believe in God, where is God in all of this? If God is good and God is powerful and bad things happen, then where is God and what has happened? And that question gets asked by us. It gets asked by media types. When some tragedy happens in our world, where was God when the tsunami happened? Where was God when the tornado struck? Where was God when the hurricane made land? And what happens at that moment is very critical because if indeed we find ourselves locked into seeking the reasons for things, a couple of possibilities occur. One possibility is to approach it without God and to say God does not exist. I've had a lot of conversations with non-theists through the years. And the one thing I discover about non-theism is it's pretty, it's pretty basic. It's pretty, pretty narrow because most non-theists will approach me with, God cannot exist. You say there is a God who is all good and all powerful. Well, the presence of evil disproves your God because the evil existing means either your God is not all powerful and can't stop evil or all powerful but not all good. The other possibility is that you will believe in God 
And you will wrestle with the fact that you cannot explain why a loving God would allow bad things to happen. And your inability to come up with reasons could make you a confused follower of God. You're not a non-theist. You do believe in God. And you do hold that God is good. But because you can't find reasons for the bad things that happen, your Christian experience is characterized by a cognitive dissonance. You hold to a fact, and yet life doesn't seem to bear out that fact. And even though you are a Christian, you've adopted a certain fatalism about life. Well, it is to this conundrum that I want to bring a message that God has shared with me. And the title of today's message is Reasons Versus Purpose. I was studying the Gospel of John when God showed this to me, chapter 9. And in this chapter, Jesus and his disciples encounter, well, let's read in verse 1. As he was walking along, he saw a man blind from birth. Master, his disciples asked him, why? That's our question, isn't it? We want to know the reasons for things. Why? Why was this man born blind? We're sympathetic up to this point. They have encountered a blind man. They want to know why. And I think that's, that's our pursuit. Why? Why was this man born blind? But then they take it a step further. They say, was it a result of his own sins or was it his parents who sinned? It was the religion of the time, not what Jesus taught, because Jesus didn't teach religion. But it was the religion of the time that if good things happen, God God's favor rested upon you, but if bad things happen, somebody somewhere must have done something wrong, either you or someone in your previous generation. See, this is, guys, you, you guys hear me week after week, and you know that I always say I hate religion. Do you know what is wrong with religion? Let me, let me just bear it down to essentials. Do you know what is wrong with religion? Religion is guesswork. See, religion is man's attempt to connect with God, and so consequently, Man projects onto God his own characteristics and says, basically, if I were God, this is what I would expect. And so based on that, all these projections lead to a, a system of beliefs. But the problem with all those beliefs is it's guesswork. That's why almost every week when you come to New Spring, you're going to hear me give you a verse from Isaiah chapter 55. And I know you've heard me say this again and again, but the Bible says, speaking of God or from God, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. So in other words, if I sat around trying to figure out what God would be like based on my personality or my experiences with other human beings, God is saying, Mark, don't even try to guess because my thoughts are not your thoughts. And... My ways are higher than anything you can imagine. That is what is wrong with religion. You name them all. It's guesswork. It's human guesswork. And so that was the problem with the disciples. See, they wanted everything to fit together. They see a blind man. They figure, okay, we've always been taught that if bad things happen, somebody must have done something wrong. So Jesus, would you like? You know, here's the thing. They wanted the world to be integrated. They wanted the world to fit together. And after all, it wasn't, they weren't the ones who were blind, so consequently they could, for, they could afford to be theoretical about this. In fact, I thought about that yesterday afternoon as I was getting ready for last night's services. You may approach this message tonight kind of like the disciples. Right now, everything is going okay pretty much in your life, and you can afford to look at these, at these discussions that we're going to have today as somewhat theoretical, somewhat, somewhat philosophical. 
But for this blind man, it wasn't theoretical. He was sitting there blind. He'd been blind all his life. He'd never seen anything. So I'm sure he heard the disciples when they asked Jesus, uh, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? I'm assuming that this blind man was interested in hearing Jesus answer because for him it wasn't philosophical. And if you're here today and you're going through a deep, dark situation in your life where you're craving answers, this message is not going to be philosophical for you. This is going to be real life stuff. I love Jesus' answer. He just said neither. <laughs> he didn't even attempt to tell them why. They wanted to know why. Jesus said neither. But now notice how he shifts the whole answer to a, a different kind of thinking. He said, but in order to, <clears throat> in order to demonstrate the power of God, one commentator that I read said it better than anything I could possibly say, so I have this for you on the screens. Jesus' answer to the disciples then becomes a rejection of their belief that the man's blindness was due either to his parents' sin or to his own sin. He makes no judgment as to the reason that the man was born blind. He simply states that the man's blindness offers an opportunity to show God's power at work in him. In one statement, Jesus resolves life's greatest dissonance. If we wonder why bad things happen to people, that whole dissonance is resolved by Jesus teaching us that there are reasons why things happen, and then there are purposes that God interjects into the situation. <clears throat> reasons and purposes are not the same. And if we confuse them, we will miss God and we will lose life at its best. Simply put, for all of you in the South Auditorium, North Auditorium, watching on television, watching around the world on life, you are living your life one way or another. You are either living your life searching for reasons or searching for purposes. Those are 180 degrees opposite of each other. You're either searching for reasons why things happen, or you're searching for purposes. What is God wanting to do in this situation? Now, I try always when I stand before you to stand before you with academic honesty. <clears throat> and I try not to give you surface answers. And so today, in line with that, we're going to do some work. I want to talk to you for a few moments about looking for reasons. For all of us, if you have my personality and you're inclined to look at things and be analytical and say, I want to know why this happened, let us explore for a few moments what looking for reasons means. Let us start with the presumption. It is natural to assume that an all-powerful God is the reason for everything that happens. Can I say that one more time? It is natural to assume that an all-powerful God is the reason why everything happens. That's based on the logic that says if God can make anything happen or keep anything from happening, therefore, if bad happens, God is the reason for it. And as I've already hinted, that leads to two schools of thought. Either atheism, which says evil disproves the existence of God, or what, and I don't want to use a theological term, if you don't know anything about this, you're so fortunate you don't know it, but a sense of hyper-Calvinism that some Christians believe that God, therefore, is the source of everything that happens, even bad things. But I have a newsflash for us today. God <clears throat> is not the reason everything happens. 
for all of us who want to get the why answer, God's not the reason for everything that happens. We're about to enter a huge trail. If you want to go back to the first interaction between human beings and God, you would go back to Genesis chapter 2. Now, I want you to listen as God speaks to Adam about the potential for sin. In Genesis 2 verse 16, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Three massive Mount Rushmore conclusions jump out to us after hearing that. The first one is God's purpose. What is God's purpose? He wants Adam to live. God is saying, he's warning him, please don't do this. <clears throat> because the moment you eat of the tree, you're going to die. So what's God's purpose? It's clear, very clear. It's crystal clear. God wants Adam to live, doesn't want Adam to die. Second conclusion that jumps out of us is that God has given Adam a free will. Adam has the free will to choose. Every, every being God creates has the ability to choose. If God didn't give us the ability to choose, our love for him, our worship for him would mean absolutely nothing. We'd be automatons. We'd be robots. So Adam has a free choice. He can choose to either obey God or he can disobey God. Now think about the third conclusion. Jesus, or God said to Adam, if you eat of the tree, you will die. Now does God want Adam to die? No, he wants Adam to live. But now here's the third conclusion. There are consequences to free will that are independent of God's purpose. Oh my goodness, that's such a huge statement. <clears throat> there are consequences to God's choice that are independent of purpose. Let me give you an example for all of you who are parents, especially parents of teenagers. Your kid graduates from high school. <clears throat> In the mail, your kid gets a credit card and you warn your kid. And you're saying, hey, I know right now this feels real good. You can take the plastic out. You can eat anywhere you want to eat. You can get anything you want to buy. You can have everything. But let me just tell you, kid, 21% interest payments are no fun. And if you start paying minimum payments, you're going to be paying on this credit card the rest of your life. Okay? That's your purpose. Your purpose for your kid not to go out and abuse a credit card. But let's say, unfortunately, your kid does go out and charge up a bunch of stuff on plastic. And by the time he's 23 years old, has to declare bankruptcy. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that bankruptcy your purpose for his life or for her life? No. There is free will, and there are consequences that are independent of your purpose. And so when we look at our world today, what we see is we see consequences that are independent of God's purpose. <clears throat> In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says, When Adam sinned, sin entered to the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. So when you look at all the evil that happens in our world, I mean, when something tragic happens and a lot of people die, you understand that those consequences are independent of God's purpose. God didn't choose that. From the very beginning, God pleaded with us to live. If you jump ahead to the next to last chapter of the Bible in Revelation 21, the Bible is telling us what heaven will be like. The Bible says God himself will be with them and be their God. Look at this, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. See, you look at that. In heaven, there won't be any tears. There won't be any pain. There won't be any sorrow. There won't be any sickness. There won't be any death. In fact, that is why God teach, or Jesus teaches us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is the place where God is the reason for everything. Earth is not. I mean, when you get to heaven, 
You, you, can ask all, you can ask why all day long. Why do I feel so good? I mean, why is the food so wonderful? Why does it never get dark? Why does it never get cold? Why does it never get hot? I mean, you can ask why am I getting to be with all my loved ones that I've known before? I mean, you can ask why all you want to because in heaven, God is the reason for everything. Earth is not. With that in mind, when bad things happen and then we turn to where God and we ask God, what is the reason? We're looking in the wrong place. <clears throat> and I'll say this now and you'll hear me say it again in the sermon, but it's just so important. When any bad thing, bad thing happens in our life, looking for reasons will always be a frustrating exercise. I mean, for all of us who are trying to look at why the bad things have happened in our life, I will just tell you, if you trace it down, it's going to be a frustrating exercise. Ultimately, you won't like the answer, and it won't lead anywhere. If you want to know why any bad thing happens in your life or my life, ultimately, it's because of sin. Either my sin, someone else's sin, or going all the way back to Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve's sin. I don't like that answer. And what's more, I can't do anything about it. See what I'm saying? If our whole life is balled up with trying to get reasons for things, it'll be a frustrating exercise. We won't like the answer, and most of all, it won't lead us anywhere. <clears throat> now, in the essence of full disclosure, I mean, there are times when we look back on why things happen, and we can connect the dots, and ultimately, we can develop a purpose out of that. I'm not, I'm not denying that. I'm just saying, if we look back at why things happen, and it never, never does change to purpose, it's just going to bring guilt, and that won't help. So when the disciples asked Jesus why, Jesus didn't even answer because, you see, he didn't come to deal in reasons. I mean, with all the bad things happening because of sin, if Jesus came to deal in reasons, he would have just come to condemn. But according to Jesus, he didn't come to condemn, he came to save. <clears throat> so he informed the disciples the important thing here is not the reason this man was born blind, but the purpose that God has injected into this situation. There was a reason the man was born blind, but it took us nowhere. God has a purpose, and that's going to take it somewhere. Let's read on. This is in John chapter 9, same chapter, just a verse later. Jesus said, we must do the work of him who sent me. See, he never answers the reason why he's born blind. He just said, God's got work to do here. Well, that's huge. I mean, when I read that, that's when I began to really put all this together. And then look at what happens next. Verse 6, having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with saliva, put it on the man's eyes, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home, sing. We never are talking about why he's blind. What we know is what God wanted to do in the situation, which was to heal him, and he came back seeing. And that's why I say to you today, everybody here, everybody watching is living your life with one of these two things ruling you're either searching for reasons or you're searching for purpose. And like I say, if you're locked up looking for the whys in life, I know several things about you. I know that you're in confusion. Because if you're trying to sort out where is a good God and bad things that happen and, and you're trying to figure out the reasons for it, it'll, it'll leave you in confusion. And let me tell you what else it'll do. It'll leave you blaming See, if, if you're always looking for why stuff happens, ultimately you're going to be able to trace it back to somebody doing wrong. Either I've done wrong, someone else has done wrong in my life, people in the world are doing wrong. Ultimately, Adam did wrong. So here's the thing. If, I'm if I don't look at purpose and I'm, I'm over here looking for reasons, then constantly I'm going to live my life blaming, blaming other people, blaming myself. Take that a step further. 
What happens when you don't know what to do with blame? You get into unforgiveness. So if I'm always looking at why things happen, I'm going to be unforgiving. I'm going to watch the news and I'm going to hate people whose political views are different from my own because they're the reason why bad things happen in the world. I'm going to blame them and I'm not going to want to forgive them. And I'm going to want to blame the people who've hurt me and the people, you know, that, that have hurt me. Not only am I going to blame them over time, as that simmers and percolates, I won't be able to forgive them. And then when I look at the reasons why things have gone wrong, a lot of the times I'm going to be the reason. So I'm going to blame myself and I won't be able to forgive myself. That's because I'm living in a world of why and reasons. I want to plead with you today to turn around and not live your life based on reasons, but instead live your life searching for the purpose. You know, I love Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. And these are people at the time who were living in captivity to the Babylonians. But God said, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for good and not disaster. They're plans to give you a future and a hope. One of the reasons why I want to plead with you to live your life based on purpose instead of reasons is that living about reasons is all about the past. Living for purpose is all about the future. If you live your life saying, why did this happen? Why did that happen? You're constantly focused on the past. But if you're living your life based on what does God want to do in this situation, now your focus is on the future. Let me give you another reason why it's important. Living looking for the reasons is living by sight, and living by purpose is living by faith. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, the Bible talks about Christians, and it says we live by faith and not by sight. Now, what that simply means is this. If you spend your life looking for why things are not going well, then your answers are going to have to correspond to that. Now, my life... Why is my life messed up right now? It's because my husband is doing a lot of bad things, and he's the reason. You know what? That may be true, and that may be legit. But now, now that you've lived your life according to trying to figure out why all the bad things have gone wrong in your life, then your challenge is to fix your husband, or your challenge is to, to find some other solution. If you're looking at your life saying, why are my kids going off the rails? Well, maybe I didn't do this right. Maybe someone else did this. Maybe my kid just has a problem. So consequently, we're focused on... We're focused on sight. It's what we can... See, here's the thing. The problem with living by reasons is it's always about what we can change. How many of you have discovered that there are a lot of reasons that things are wrong in your life and you have absolutely zero power to change the reasons why things are wrong? God is telling us, look, we, we don't live. If you're a God follower, you're not relegated to living according to reasons. Now you can say, but what does God want to do? See, my marriage is not right, and there are lots of reasons why it's not right. But the question is, what does God want to do now? My kid has gone off the rails, and it's breaking my heart. And yeah, if I could go back in time, I'd change this, and I'd change that. But you still don't know if it would have worked. I mean, the question is, what does God want to do now? I mean, yeah, you lost the job. And, and you go back and say, well, if I'd taken a different track in college, and if I'd handled this differently, and if that person hadn't wound up being my supervisor, okay. But how is that going to change? The question is, what is God going to do? It's all about the distinction between purpose and reasons. If I live my life trying to find out the reasons, I'm walking by sight 
what I can figure out and what I can change. If I live my life according to purpose, the question is, what is God going to do? See, here's the thing. You, can, you either can react to reasons or you can participate in purpose. I've spent a lot of time reacting to reasons, and I can tell you, I don't like the answers. It doesn't lead anywhere. On the other hand, when I say, God, I'm not even going to worry about why this went wrong. I know you got something that you want to do. Just show me how I can participate in what you're doing. Let me give you my favorite part of this message. When God gave it to me on the plane, I wanted to start shouting for joy, but Delta frowns on that. <laughs> They've been putting people off airplanes, and I was at 35,000 feet, so I <laughs> sure didn't want to be put off right then. You ready for this? When you look for the whys, when you look for the reasons, it always points back to sin. Now, you don't understand, I'm talking about bad things happening. We, we don't tend to ask why when good things happen. You know, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, oh, all your numbers are great. You got a good checkup. You're in great health. I mean, we don't go out to our car and put our head in our hands and say, oh, God, why is this happening to me? <laughs> you go down to the ice cream store and say, well, if my health is that good, I can afford a banana split. <laughs> so you know I'm talking about why bad things happen. The reasons for bad things always points back to sin. The purposes of God always point to grace. Now, you got to ask yourself the question, do you want to live your life swirling in the blame and unhappiness of the sins that others have done and we've done, or do you want to live your life looking and searching for the purposes of a gracious God who will never leave us abandoned by the side of the road? My dad died four years ago. He was 88 years old, so it wasn't so much his death that was hard for me. That's the way of the world. But what was so hard for me was my dad got dementia. And for any of you who've dealt with a loved one with dementia or Alzheimer's or any of those related, related disorders, what is so hard is, is, as Nancy Reagan said, the long, slow goodbye. And as he declined mentally, he lost many of the mental and emotional and spiritual tools that he had developed for handling difficulties through his life. And in the last months of his life, whenever I would go to see him, there was a restlessness about him, and he could never sit still. He would get up and try to walk across the room as if to say, as long as I'm walking, I'm still living. But as the dementia began to rob, not only his mind in the area that he had control, it began to rob his mind's ability in areas that controlled functions of his body. And he got to the place where he would get up and try to walk and he would fall in the floor. And we watched him go down and it was so hard. But I still remember the Tuesday morning that my dad slipped out. The hospital had called us and said, your father is, and I still remember getting the call, your, your dad's about to, about to leave us. So I got up to the hospital, and he died, and our family was there with him, my sister's family, my mother, my family, our boys and their families. And we all stayed in the room and kind of said our goodbyes, and I slipped out to call the funeral director and make some arrangements. And, but finally, I got back into the room, and one by one, the family left, and it was just Mary Alice and me. And the mortuary service came, and most of the time, they moved the family out of the room, but they knew I'm pretty familiar with that part of 
life. And so they, they, I stayed there and chatted with them. And they came in. They put, took a blue vinyl body, in a, a bag, and slipped my dad's body into that blue vinyl bag. And I said, I want to ride down the elevator with you. And they said, it's okay, Pastor. Sure you can. And I remember getting into the elevator, and they tilted the bag up and rode down there. And I, I thought, you know, Everything earthly that is left over from my dad is in a blue vinyl bag. See, reason at that moment told me that we live in an ugly, broken world and people die. And when they die, they put them in a blue vinyl bag and they go to the mortuary service and the funeral home and See, if I'm looking at the whys, I'm looking at a blue vinyl bag. But the grace of God turns my shoulders around. And instead of looking at a blue vinyl bag, I see 2 Corinthians 5 verse 8 that says, To be absent from the body is to be present with God. That's the, that's the choice. All I'm saying to you is if you are a person who's got to have an answer to the whys, your whole life is going to be in a blue vinyl bag. Because, you see, you're going to ultimately trace it back to sin. It's like I said, you won't like the answer and it won't take you anywhere. It'll just take you to blue vinyl bags. But if you are willing to seek out the purpose of God, God's purpose will turn around and there will be grace. See, I love what the Bible says. And the Bible's not in denial. Bad things do happen. Sin happens. The Bible says in the book of Romans, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Yeah, I've done bad stuff. The people you know have done bad stuff. The Democrats have done bad stuff. The Republicans have done bad stuff. I mean, people around the world do bad stuff. The terrorists do bad stuff. Take it all the way back. Adam did bad stuff. Sin abounds. But the great thing is, even though sin abounds, it doesn't stop God because God can step into that dysfunction and he can inject purpose and his purpose takes us away from the blue bags and it points us to what God wants to do. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That's the power of God. I grew up playing trumpet in high school and college, and I still love brass music to this day, especially jazz. And the king of the jazz trumpeters to me is Wynton Marsalis. I love his music. Wynton Marsalis was playing downtown New York City. He was sitting in with a group, and then he just began to play some, some awesome stuff. And all of a sudden, he started playing this 1930s ballad, I Don't Stand of a Ghost of a Chance with You. And as he played, any of you like me that love jazz and listen to Wynton Marsalis play, it's like you just feel it. And the poignancy of that song, I don't stand a ghost of a chance with you. I mean, there was a writer there from the New York Times who was writing about listening to Wynton Marsalis play. And so he got to that final phrasing of the song and just he was slowing it down. I, I don't stand a ghost of a chance. And right at that moment, somebody's cell phone ringer went off and playing some little ditty. And everybody in that room turned and glared at the man. He ran out of the room in embarrassment. The writer from the Times wrote these two words in his diary, magic ruined. 
But all of a sudden, Wynton Marsalis began to play something. I mean, he just stopped to don't stand a ghost of a chance right before the last two words with you. And he started playing the little song that the phone ringer had just played. I mean, he played it note for note. And then he began to improvise off that theme. And I mean, he just started improvising. And then he modulated, he changed keys. And then he changed keys again. He went up. And all of a sudden, all this room is mesmerized by the wizardry of Wynton Marsalis as he's playing the little ditty that the cell phone rang. And he just kept, and everybody's starting to cheer. And then all of a sudden, he brought it right back around to the ballad and he played the last two notes with you. Now, if you want to ask why what happened happened, it's because some idiot left his cell phone on. <laughs> but that isn't what anybody's going to remember, is it? What they're going to remember is the wizardry of Wynton Marsalis. Look, if you want to look at the whys of the bad things that happen in your life, it's always going to be somebody did something wrong, if it's bad. But here's the question. Is the story for you going to be searching out who did what wrong? I mean, is, is, you gonna, is your life going to be CSI and put your name there? Or is it going to be about the awesome power of God to step into our brokenness, to step into our defeat, to step into our defunction, and yes, even step into our own personal failures and play his marvelous music in our lives? And someone is here today, and I'm so sympathetic to this, and you're having a hard time with this message, because although you see the wisdom of it, you are saying, but Mark, my personal situation is so painful that I have a problem with what you're saying. Mark, you don't understand the harm that's been done to me, the harm of what has been done to me is so dark that there cannot be any purpose. And I cannot let it go. Because you see, Mark, what was done to me is the reason why I have so many problems. And I'm sympathetic because the level of abuse that some of you have suffered is beyond my scope to even imagine. And the hurt and the harm that's been done to you by a heinous act, I can't even begin to imagine. You understand I'm not taking lightly that. But I would ask you to consider a story out of the Bible the Bible tells us about a young man named Joseph in the Old Testament, and his ten older brothers hated him so much they wanted to kill him. Now, you may have sibling issues, but chances are they haven't tried to kill you yet. <laughs> but anyway, they got him a long way away from home and his dad, and they saw him coming, and they said, let's kill him. So they put him in a pit, and they're trying to figure out how to kill him. I mean, think about this. You talk about cold? They said to each other, wait a minute, there's no money in killing him. Let's sell him. Sell your brother? Yeah, and some slave traders were coming by, and they just sold their brother for 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph is snatched away and taken to Egypt. They, they said, basically, why should we kill him? Let's, take, let's sell him as a slave. They'll kill him. And they send their dad a message that said, oh, your son was killed by a wild animal. 
And Joseph is taken off to Egypt, and he's living the life of a slave. But he begins to like do a little better in, as being a slave. And the next thing you know, the woman of the house claims he tried to rape her, and Joseph is doing time now for attempted rape. But our time is limited today. I'll let you read this story. This is in Genesis 38 through 50. I mean, God just begins to do his wonderful work. I mean, God starts doing what Wynton Marsalis did, except on a grand scale. God begins to improvise in Joseph's life and modulate and change keys. And the next thing you know, through God's work, Joseph winds up in the palace as the most powerful man in Egypt, which was the most powerful nation in the world. So I guess you could say he went from being in the pit to being in the palace. So Joseph does an amazing thing. He sends for his family and brings them to Egypt. Now he's got all the power in the world. He basically brings these same brothers to Egypt who sold him and brings his daddy there. And all these brothers that tried to sell him, he gives them condos with pools and, and, and bank accounts and BMWs. I mean, he like lavishes all this stuff on them. And the brothers start thinking about this thing like, you know what? Joseph is doing this because daddy is alive. But boy, when daddy is alive, he's going to jerk back all that bling and he's going to kill us. And so they lived on eggshells. And when their dad died, they thought, here it comes. Joseph's going to get even with us. Now I want to take you to Genesis 50, 20. Listen to what Joseph said to his brothers. Let's read it. I want to read it word for word. You intended... To harm me. Now notice Joseph's not in denial. I mean, Joseph for a moment says, uh, the reason why all this happened, the reason I got put in the pit is you. And the reason why I wound up a slave is you. And the reason why I did time on a trumped up attempted rape charge is you. You intended to harm me. For many of us, that's where our life ends, and we put a period right there. My dad intended to harm me. People in my life intended to harm me. Hey, that's my reason for shutting down. That's my reason for checking out. That's my reason for being a difficult person. It all goes back to the past. You intended to harm me. But I love what Jacob, or what Joseph says, rather. He said, but God, oh, those are two of the greatest words in the English language, but God. See, you intended to put me in the pit, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph said, yeah, if I was living according to reason, I'd probably whack you because you intended it for evil. But God interjected purpose into my dysfunction and he intended it all for good. And Joseph said, you guys are saved because I don't live my life according to reason. I live my life according to purpose. Sin is the reason. And grace is the purpose. And where sin abounded, grace did superabound. I guess the ultimate scenario that any of us could imagine is standing at the foot of a Roman cross where the God man hangs. He never did one thing wrong, he never sinned against anybody, he never harmed anyone. Why, he, 
We just saw the story. He, he caused blind people to see. He caused paralyzed people to be able to walk. He held little children on his lap and blessed them. And he raised people from the dead. I'm telling you, if we had Jesus in Wichita today, we'd be a different city. By the way, his Holy Spirit is here. But why is he on a cross? Do you know know why Jesus is on a cross? Man, that's pretty simple. John 1, he came to his own world. His own people rejected him. Why is Jesus on the cross? What's the reason? He's on the cross because the religious elite hated him. Why is Jesus on the cross? The reason? Roman power, Roman government didn't think he was important enough to do the, the honest thing and let him go because he was innocent. That's why he's on the cross. He's on the cross because he's put there by people who hate him. That's the reason. You know, it's so, I don't know, how am I telling you this? Do you know this sermon was written on my cell phone because that was the only thing I could get my hands on in that airplane that day? Somewhere if you could find the notes for this sermon, you'd laugh about it because instantly I thought, what verse in the Bible do I go to to show you the purpose that God had for Jesus being on the cross? Because I could show you pretty much the whole Bible. But my mind instantly went to Hebrews chapter 2 because in Hebrews chapter 2, it's really interesting. There's nothing here about religious elite. There's nothing here about Romans. It is just what God wanted to accomplish in the death of Jesus. Listen to this. God wanted many people to be his children. Some of you guys watched that show on the Duggars, you know, had all those kids. Hey, listen, don't, don't worry about them. Think about God. God wants, look at that. God wanted many people to be his children and to share his glory. So he did what he needed to do. He made Jesus a perfect savior through his suffering. These children are people with physical bodies. That's you and me. So Jesus himself became like them and he had the same experience as we have. Jesus did this so that purpose clause That by dying, he could destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil. Jesus became like these people and died so that, purpose clause, he could free them. They were like slaves all their lives because of fear of death. Why is Jesus on the cross? If you look back, the reason is people hated him. But the purpose of Jesus being on the cross, God's purpose is that he could free us all from the fear of death. And beyond that, so he could bring us into his family and make us his children. All I'm saying to you today is you and I can either live our lives searching for reasons. We won't like the answer. It won't lead us anywhere. It's a dark thing. But if by faith we will turn around and say, God, what's your purpose here? Then all of a sudden we can begin to participate in God's purpose in our lives and he will step into our darkness, step into our dysfunction, step into our pain, and yes, even step into our own failures, and he will turn it for good. Do you believe that today? Well, this message has changed my life. You need to know I'm not preaching to you as an expert. I'm preaching as someone God spoke this into my life, and I'm just speaking into you what God spoke into me. Who am I talking to? You're in so much pain because people have hurt you, and you're wrapped up looking this direction. Please turn around. God is good all the time, and he loves you, and he can have purpose. It's not discounting. It's not sugarcoating what the harm is that's been done to you. It's just saying that that harm doesn't stop God from doing what he does. Would you bow your heads with me, please, for prayer? You know, we just closed by saying that Jesus died on the cross 
so that you could be brought into his family. You know you can. You say, Mark, a lot of bad things have happened to me. I've done a lot of bad things. Well, remember this, that the sin can never be greater than God's grace. And if you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to I live my life by purpose. I want Jesus to be my Savior. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe his blood paid for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave. Then the Bible says all that's left to do is to ask. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if you want to ask, you can pray the prayer with me. And I'll pray it slowly so you can decide if you want to say it. You ready? Dear God, I am a sinner. I've done many wrong things. And I can't fix myself. But I believe you have an eternal purpose for my life. And I want it to start today. I want to put my life in your hands. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he arose from the grave. I want him to be my savior. I want to live my life by your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer with me, have a gift I want to give you. It's a bag that's got a Bible just like I preached from, a DVD and a book I wrote. Go to any info center and just take your talk to us card and say, I pray with Mark. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next weekend.